0: Hello, PodFam, and hello, Rachel. How are you today? I am good, Laura. I am finally back to work today. Excellent. And I'm feeling. I'm feeling good. So, yeah, holiday got extended a little bit longer than I was expecting, but that's all right.
1: You know what? Sometimes that happens, and we are back rolling full steam ahead with the podcast, and we have some pretty mm-hmm. exciting episodes coming up, especially the one our listeners are just about to listen to, today but before we talk about that what are you drinking i have a tea called everyday detox tea oh that sounds good that's a new one yeah
0: yeah i went to the grocery store yesterday and it was in the herbal tea section and it is dandelion root and peppermint
1: Ooh, yeah dandelion's a good tea actually it's underrated yeah what are you having Uh, So today I've been going for like the warm comforting teas because it's been a blizzard here today. There is a Mm -hmm. lot of snow and we currently can't leave the house Um, kind of by choice, but also we don't feel like shoveling out. And so I chose gingerbread pu'er tea because it's like, mm, it's just like smooth, a little spicy, but like a really rich flavor. And Mm -hmm. it just warmed me up today because all day it felt just like really cold and the snow was falling and I just wanted to be like cozy.
0: I love that. That sounds really, really good. Maybe with my tea order, please add that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll throw that one on there for you. Anyway, this episode, we sat down with our favorite girl, Preeti, over on the Empowered Woman podcast. And oh my gosh, this conversation. I mean, we always have a good time with Preeti, so- I'm always happy to sit down and chat with her, and this episode, I'm pretty sure the uncut version of us just chatting was about three hours long, and I loved every moment of it. It most definitely was over three
0: hours, I think, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when we when we come around, um, you can bet the conversation is going to be long. Yes, and it's honestly, it just
1: feels like you know, exactly what we wanted to do with this podcast. You know, we wanted Mm -hmm. to sit down with a cup of tea with our friends and just have a good conversation. And oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, like we covered so much about different toxic relationships and definitions within those. Um, And honestly, like it kind of turned into a therapy session at at some parts where our listeners will hear Preeti is just like, no girls, like you got to you know, watch your language when you say this because like you're validating the toxic person and not validating yourself. So for me, it definitely changed my mindset and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I loved it. I loved it too. I can agree. It was
0: very, very therapeutic, especially because some of the situations, especially the romantic relationship situations that we discussed, I had not thought or spoken about them in a very long time. And I was like, huh, there's some things to unpack here. So overall, I think that it was a really great chat for all of us where not only did we get to know each other better, but we also got to know ourselves a little bit better. So we're really excited for you guys
1: to listen in on all of our stories today. Yes, I think there's going to be a lot of takeaways. So please enjoy this episode with Preeti. Enjoy.
2: Hello, empowered people, and welcome back to another episode of the Empowered Woman Rises podcast. My name is Preeti, and I'm so glad you're here. As you know, one of the foundations of my movement is storytelling, with the idea that the more stories and experiences we share, the more we can show others that they're not alone in their situations, toxic or healthy. When I realized I wasn't alone in some of the things I was going through, it gave me the assurance that the problems were sort of widespread, even systemic, and then I was in the problem. And that helped me really get out of this funk that I was in because of the situations I was in and find myself, find this journey, ultimately start this movement. So with that in mind, I wanted to discuss some examples of toxic and healthy relationships so that you can sort of hear what these may be to assess your own situation, decide the next steps, if that's applicable, or even just what to look out in relationships, you know? And I think, again, it's good for us to hear what toxic relationships can be like and what healthy relationships can be like and sort of role model our relationships off of that too. So with that conversation, to help me with that conversation, I have Laura and Rachel here. They are the hosts of the Tea with Laura and Rachel podcast They're two lifelong best friends from Ontario, Canada, and they're aiming to build a community of like-minded women that are driven to build inspired lives. You may have heard my interview on their podcast on episode 14, and I immediately knew I wanted to have them on my show because we just had really good chemistry. So Laura and Rachel, thank you for being here. And I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited
1: to be here. So. Yes. Yes. Can't believe that we're back again. It seems so long since we last talked to you. And you know, we we were serious when we said we want to make this a regular thing. Like we just love you so much. Like we wholeheartedly agree. Like the chemistry is amazing and Mm -hmm. we just have the best conversations with you.
2: Oh, likewise. I, you you know, I left that conversation feeling just so happy. And so to kind of give our listeners a little background, I quote unquote, met Lauren Rachel (laughs) through Reddit right? It was, I think you posted on podcast guest exchange looking for guests for your podcast. Yeah, that was the, that was the subreddit. And I had just joined that subreddit too, because I think I was getting comfortable with wanting to be on other podcasts as well. And I'm so glad you put that out there. And I'm so glad that I saw it because I, you know, sometimes it's just fate (laughs) and we connected and I feel like it was just, instant connection. So, and you've heard me talk about this on previous episodes where I feel like once I started doing this work, I met so many women who are also doing this work in different ways. And each one of these ways is amazing because you get a different perspective. You get to hear different voices kind of also say the same message, which is women deserve to be respected, loved. We deserve an equal place in this world right by everyone else and again I'm just so excited to have you here. So, let's dive right in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start out with a definition of toxic relationships a formal definition and I will kind of talk about how I think of toxic relationships again based on my experience and then I'd love to hear your definitions and and we'll just take it from there. So Dr. Lenny Glass, California-based communication and psychology expert, defines a toxic relationship as any relationship between people who don't support each other where there's conflict, one seeks to undermine the other, where there's competition, where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. And while every relationship goes through ups and downs, a toxic relationship is consistently unpleasant and draining for the people in it. To the point that negative moments outweigh and outnumber the positive ones. Dr. Kristen Fuller, a California based family medicine physician who specializes in mental health, says that toxic relationships are mentally, emotionally, and possibly even physically damaging to one or both participants. When I think about toxic relationships, I, again, reflecting on my experience, realize that they they don't start outright as toxic. They're often great relationships, even amazing ones that I have wholeheartedly participated in, but then they've taken a turn. And Mm -hmm. with my friends, I feel like my mom, my parents knew before I knew that there was something off, not with all relationships. Some of them, I was the one who was like, okay, this isn't right. But the way I see it is, They, the people on the other end, start to prioritize themselves over the relationship, and not not in a good way. So, and we'll go through examples today, and you'll see what I mean. There's also remarks that are harmful, that are outright upsetting and hurtful. There's possibly a lot of lying. Again, there's a lot of undermining, and toxic relationships can be anything. It it a relationship is a connection between two people, right? So it could be family, could be friends, could be workplace, really anywhere. So that is how I think about it. And again, it doesn't have to be outright. It can be a remark here and there, but you see these things like slowly start to to take a toll on you. And that's where I've had to learn to set boundaries. So I'll turn this over to you and maybe Laura, you can go first. And then Rachel, you can go next to kind of talk about how toxic relationships are defined in in you know in your
1: perspective yeah so i agree with you you know not every relationship is toxic right from the get go sometimes it starts off wonderful and i think a lot of it is where you are with yourself developmentally and the lessons you need to learn especially when you're younger you know you're very much more impressionable but then yeah. as you become your own person and you learn more then a lot of the time that partner or whatever relationship that is going south had had become it's now just you know it's not working anymore and perhaps they liked it when you didn't have a lot of confidence in yourself or mm-hmm. didn't have big dreams so for me, I think it's definitely always changing. You know, there are those standard red flags that are just bad no matter what, you know, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. That is all awful. But you know, I think it's all about us just learning and setting boundaries and recognizing when a situation is no longer serving ourselves, and that's the hardest thing is to get out of that situation because a lot of the time, women especially, you know, we're, we're taught to be people pleasers. We want to be loyal. These are all things that we are taught growing up. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very hard to break away. But when we do, we're so much stronger. And then the next relationship mm-hmm. or workplace that we get into, we're going in with eyes wide open and we're learning that next stage of, okay, what serves me best? Mm-hmm. Where are my boundaries? This is what I need from other people. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I feel like you both just kind of took the words right out of my mouth. But two other things that I wanted to touch on that I've at least experienced that have in my brain are the very like the definition of toxic to me is especially maybe I'll go between like friendship and romantic relationships. Where in friendships. There was always, I remember some that I've experienced where there was a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. So I remember like one experience I had where it was like we would work out together all the time, and I was falling into it too. So it's not something where it's it's usually in my view of what I've experienced like that person gets a bit to- gets a bit toxic and you are as well. It's just mm-hmm. it's a give and take, and I remember we would be looking back and forth at each other's treadmill of like, who is going fastest. And it's like, it sounds funny, but like that really did have, like yeah. it really did wear on us. So competition is a big signal in friendships and also the feeling that no matter what, if you stopped taking care of that friendship, it would dissipate. Yeah. So it was sort of like you are, how you're going about things with your, with your friendship. It's they can do whatever they want, and you have to accept it yeah. but if you said to them hey that upset me they'd be like well get over it yeah not that they would maybe explicitly say get over it but it's the feeling of it and then in relationships romantic ones it's something similar that i've experienced as well and I, maybe laura you have as well too where it's um it's a double standard where you mm-hmm. have to be accepting of things that they're going through. And even if they hurt you, you kind of have to be like, oh, it's okay. You're just going through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. But if you did something similar, then they would be really mad at you. Yeah. So that's just what I've experienced as well. in toxic relationships is a very incredible double standard that you eventually just have to separate yourself from because otherwise you kind of feel like you're
2: starting to go a bit crazy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I like your points about the development so I look at my children and it's so interesting because some I was thinking about this earlier I'm like at what point did it start to pivot because Mm -hmm. I look at my children and at a certain point they start to get stranger danger so it's innate in us to be sort of hesitant with people we don't see every day we don't interact with every day but I feel like at some point that changes and you know it's like innocent before proven guilty. Mm -hmm. But with kids, at least at certain stages in their life, it's you're guilty before you can tell me (laughs) that you're innocent and I (laughs) may warm up to you. I may not. I may cry every single time you're in front of me. And it's just interesting to me because I, I think about when that happens, and maybe it's just because we're social animals and we want to belong and we want to be loved. And so as we're growing, we're going to school, we want to be part of, you know, friend groups. And so when we're left out of groups, we start to get hurt and really we we crave that connection. And sometimes I think that connection comes in the form of a toxic relationship, but we are not equipped with tools to recognize or respond to them. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're somebody who's extremely loving and caring, it's easy to be walked over again and again and again. So just, that was interesting and made me think about that. So, and I wanted to mention this one book. It was a book that was given to me by actually one of the people who I'm going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. But I was starting to date and she gave me this book and it was called men like bitches or men love bitches or something like that and (laughs) I have to go back and read this book so like don't you know I don't I'm not endorsing the book or anything like that like I just the the thing I remember from that is because at that point in my life I was still new to dating and I was showering the person with love and just Mm -hmm. attention and it was exciting to be in a new relationship. And she was like, honey, you need this. And the thing that I remember from that book, and again, I'm not endorsing it. I don't even remember like half the book. The point I remembered from the book was don't lose who you are in pursuit of somebody else. And so the example in the book that stuck by me was, you know, this woman starts dating this guy and he wants to kind of whisk her away on this like cruise weekend cruise. And she's like, nah, I got my Tupperware party. Like I can't make this. And he's like, excuse me. <laughs> like, apparently he's never been like, you know, turned down before. He's this like debonair guy. And she's like, yeah, I got this Tupperware party. And he just does not believe her. So he actually shows up at her house to be like, I, this can't be real. Like she did not just turn me down for this, but for real, she was having a Tupperware party. And the point was, she said, I am not going to lose myself in pursuit of you. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was really powerful because I talk about, you know, being walked all over, especially in relate new relationships. When you allow yourself to be available 24 seven, I think the other person is going to start to take that for granted Mm -hmm. and the power dynamic in the relationship can flip really quickly. So, you know, before we dive into this, uh, I think we've already done it. <laughs> but <laughs> Can you
1: tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you two know each other? Rachel, you want to go first? Do you want me to do it? Sure, sure. So
0: we've actually <laughs> known each other for basically our entire lives. So we're, we have a bit of an age difference. It's about four years. So I met Laura when I was five years old. And wow. we,
1: no, I think I was like, I think we, we've had this argument many times. We have um, no idea. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I was about seven or eight
0: yes. and you were like
1: three or four. So, yes. so
0: we like, we grew a up a very long time. Yeah. A very long wow. time. Cause That's we're, amazing. we're in like our mid late twenties now. And how that kind of happened was that we both grew up in the equestrian world. So we mm-hmm. both rode horses and still do. And it wasn't until I think I was probably 18 and Laura was about 20, 21, I don't know, somewhere (laughs) in there (laughs) that we became close friends because that was a time where the age gap between us started to dissipate. It didn't feel as big because obviously when Laura was 15, I was like 11. So 11 year olds not hanging out with 15 year olds. And it was just our maturity levels were aligned. At that time, and I remember how it happened was, Laura came up to me at the barn one day and was just like, "You wanna, you wanna come for dinner, Aww. with us?" And I was just like,
1: yeah, "Yeah, we had this little like crew, and we do call it like the Pony Club, yes, because um, yes, we we're super cool, and <laughs> we're just it. like, you know, <laughs> me and my two other friends. They're they're a year older than me, and we're just like, we need a fourth member." We like Rachel, let's, let's invite her to dinner. And then kind of the rest is history. Like Rachel and I, like, we just kind of got super close after that, especially when Rachel, like you went to university and then it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, like we are living a similar life now. Yeah. It was more like understandable to be friends. Like we could just understand the different phases of life that we were going through. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, like we do everything together together we've traveled together we do work together and now we have a podcast together so it's been That's a amazing. lot of fun yeah wow yeah and that kind of reminds
2: me of my story with my best friend she approached me when i was a junior in high school so we like we were very new to this country i was very new to this country and in high school i think we had gym class together and she came up to me and was like are you indian and I was like, yes. And like, and really the rest is history. Cause we've been best friends since I was like I 2005. And apparently she's done that with other people too. I'm like, is that like your pickup line? Like you just go up to people <laughs> and be like, are you Indian? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad she did because, you know, being so new in this country coming from India. And I, I honestly didn't know about the culture. Like I kind of felt lost and I, it's hard high school, especially is hard because especially if you haven't grown up here. People have their own friend groups and it can be hard to kind of get into them. Mm -hmm. So I was really grateful she did. And she introduced me to her best friend at that time. So we're like a group of best friends now and three musketeers. And she, both of them have been just instrumental in my life. And even, you know, my, my rocks through a lot of, a lot of things and and they supported me throughout this. You actually heard from one of them, Violetta, she was on one of my podcast episodes. She's this super cool public interest attorney. So oh amazing. Just cool. Such, yeah. I mean, so grateful because because she approached me, I got to have the homecoming and prom experience here. <laughs> Um, oh, we went yeah. as like each other's dates, but oh, <laughs> it
3: was still fun.
2: It. Like we bought corsages and something and it, it was just nice, but I'm super grateful for those women. And yeah, I, I think, I, I think
1: my life would have looked very different if not for them. So yeah. Um, and sometimes it just takes that like one thing yeah. to, to connect on and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, the great part is we may not even talk to each other for a while, but we always mm-hmm. come back and we pick right back up. And I think that is kind of a sign of a healthy relationship. You don't need to talk to each other. Absolutely. You can come back at least in a friendship, maybe not so much in an intimate (laughs) relationship.
1: Friendships are the exception. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It, It just feels like no time has passed at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still that
2: close. You can still pick up the phone and call them and say, I just need to vent and And that's great. So let's get right into it. So first we'll talk about some toxic situations and maybe what we'll do is Rachel, if you want to go first, Lori, you can go next and then I'll I'll go after that. And let's just start with one example of a work situation first, and then we'll move on to dating and relationships. And what I'm hoping we can cover is, so what happened, Mm -hmm. how we felt when it happened, when we realized what happened wasn't right because i think often people don't realize until after they're out of the relationship after they're out of the situation why we think it happened you know what would it have looked like if everything would have gone perfectly and mm-hmm. then what we learned from the incident so and i can kind of help guide that discussion too as as we go through it so rachel if you want to get us started with a work toxic situation example
0: all righty so Mine was a couple years ago, but I worked in the film industry for a while, which is it's its own like beast because that's just, it's one of those industries where there's an air of this everywhere, but that if you don't put up with it, somebody else will. Mm. So bosses in that industry can get away with a lot. And I worked for a talent agent. And I was their direct assistant. Mm. So basically I, well, I doubled as a punching bag mm. if I have a way to describe it. And yeah. the specific example I wanted to talk about was I had been there for about six months and it was right after Christmas. So I basically, i come back in, we had had two weeks off, which was nice. And my boss had decided that she was going to take another week off, which is fine But the problem is, is that the first week back is insane. Like no matter what industry you're in after the holidays, like everything picks right back up. And this job had an atmosphere of I had no autonomy. So I had to get permission to do everything. So basically to edit somebody's resume and send it off to somebody, I needed to have that approved. Mm. Like I needed to make sure they liked how I put the latest job onto their resume. And the problem was, was that all of this stuff was happening and she wasn't there. So I was trying to get approvals for things because I was getting like a hundred emails a day. Mm-hmm. And I think she just was getting mad at me because I was doing exactly what she wanted what me to do, which to do, was, yeah. which was ask her. And that was the thing is it felt like if I, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. So I would get in trouble if I sent it myself and didn't get approved, but I was getting in trouble for asking for approval. So it all culminated when she came back on, I think it was like the next Monday or something. And I had sent, what triggered it was I had sent her a voicemail message Mm -hmm. on like just what somebody had said and it sounded urgent to me. So I wrote back and I said, okay, this person called and it sounds urgent. So we should probably call them back today. And the email I got back, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically like being punched in the gut. Like Mm. it was completely unrelated, but it was absolutely vicious. The email Mm. that I received, I think it was something where I said that, oh, this person just wants like a quote for something like just a one sentence thing that they can put on their website. And she writes back and to me and says, just like, oh, well, like this is firm specific. It's not just them begging for this. And I was just like, what does that even, what does that even mean? Like, I, I don't understand. And she came in that day and I went into her office to go over some stuff that had been happening and she made me close the door. And she was just like, I don't need to be managed by you. You need to work on your emotional intelligence. And basically just made me feel so small and threatened. Like she made me feel scared about my job that day that she was just going to fire me. And by basically saying, like, if you don't like work on how you present yourself, this isn't going to work. And I was like, I'm just doing what you told me to do. And I remember I called my mom later that day on the bus home because I couldn't wait till I get home and just like cried. Yeah. Yeah because i was like i don't i don't know what i did i was doing what you told me how to do like i was doing yeah. what you told me to do and ideally like if you had a problem just like let's sit down and have a conversation about it like if you want me to go about it a different way tell me but there wasn't any of that when i did ask oh well how can i communicate with you differently she's like i don't know figure it out mm. and i was just like I think why it happened was that they were stressed about what was on their plate and took it out on me, but in a workspace, in a workplace, like there's not room for that. Yeah. Like that doesn't, you know, that's not fair. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And that was tough. And what I kind of learned from it was, I obviously had to learn this over time because this wasn't the only situation like this, but I had to learn that, you know, for, I shouldn't be scared. To go into work in the morning, like I shouldn't be on the bus reading a book just to distract myself from the anxiety.
3: Yeah.
0: And what really I learned is to choose myself. Yeah. In those instances, and you know, I think we talked about this when you were visiting us that I am from a place of privilege when I say this, but I was fortunate enough that I could leave. Yeah. And have some support, but like you know, when you have, even if like you don't, when you have that first flag where you're like, this doesn't feel right. And this isn't okay. Like don't stick around. Yeah. Because it's just going to keep happening. And the more, the longer you stick around, the more your confidence is going to take a hit Mm -hmm. because they're not going to change. They're just going to continue to do it to somebody else Mm -hmm. after you leave. So I think my dad said this to me where he was just like, you know, you're not going to change them. And I I definitely needed to hear that because it was like, okay, I can leave.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's
1: my story. (laughs) And and Rachel, just to the listeners, some perspective, what number assistant were you in the past 13 years? I think I was like assistant number 12. Oh my God. So there was a lot of (laughs) shows.
2: Yeah. Wow.
0: Did. So, were you
2: warned at all by people who were leaving?
0: So I was, and that's what I'm fortunate for. I I kind of had like a bit of a feeling before I took the job, but I had just graduated from school and I needed a job yeah. and this was an industry I wanted to be in. So I took it and I could kind of tell, I was like, okay, hey, this feels a bit off. And the assistant who was leaving, who didn't even make it a year, only a few months that she was there. She sat with me in the park for lunch one day and she was like, okay, I'm leaving tomorrow. I need to talk to you about something. And I was just like, oh, what? What? what's up? And she was just like, have you noticed that the work environment in here is not very good? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. Like it feels kind of strange. And she's like, all right, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was really, I'm very lucky that her and another person, the person who had left before her, mm-hmm. it was kind of like we would. Protect the person yeah. that came after us. That we were very yeah. fortunate to have that. So kinda like, like I your guide, her, yeah. So I had her support, and the one who came before her, she was also very supportive. And if something bad happened, she would sit on the phone with me and talk it through. So
2: <laughs> I'm that, tearing up That out, was amazing. That's, yeah, that's hard. And I'm so, kinda,
0: yeah, wow. I, I'm very fortunate that they were there. Because if they weren't, I feel like I wouldn't have made it through. Like it, I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did essentially.
2: And maybe by putting those or, or by telling you those things, you were kind of on guard Mm -hmm. where you may not have been. And maybe you would have taken it upon yourself to say, okay, maybe, you know, what am I doing wrong? Kind of.
0: Yeah. Like I would definitely say that knowing that they were like that Mm -hmm. helped a lot for saving me from being like, Oh, it's just me. Yeah. Like there's something I'm doing wrong that they don't like me yeah. or they don't like my work where having the warning that like, no, they just treat people like this Yeah, was very much like it saved
2: my self confidence really. Yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry you went through that. No, I think, <laughs> but this is, this is what we need to tell people. Especially people who are graduating from school who are excited Mm -hmm. to make that first dollar or rupee or wherever you are, really. But we're so excited to earn money on our own and and have this own life, and we don't realize how, quote unquote, easy of a life we have in school. Yeah, (laughs) where we're (laughs) still protected, you know, we have structures that protect us, not everywhere, of course, not everything, but in general, you know. You are, at the end of the day, a scantron that's being graded, yeah, versus somebody's bias coming into play of how you're going to be rated or treated at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference um between a safe and unsafe institution. So, ok, mm-hmm. Laura,
1: <laughs> take it away. Well, take it away. <laughs> just to follow up with a similar tragic story. My yep. situation is a little bit different from Rachel's because, I was actually working for a family business, Mm -hmm. which in of itself is just can be so complicated, especially not only do you have workplace emotions, but you do have family ties and everything that comes with that. Mm -hmm. So similar to Rachel, this was one of my first jobs out of university. And I actually have quite a bit of working experience. Before that, so I was walking into a role that I was to help modernize the business and kind of bring it into the 21st century because this is a family business that has been around since the 1930s, yet nothing had changed for about 40 years. Mm -hmm. And everything was very set in its ways. They wanted to do better. They wanted to become more efficient and just modernize their way of doing things. Yet it always fell back to, well, this is how we've always done it. And we're going to keep doing it this way. And I would just be, you know, yes, but this clearly isn't working because, you know, the business is declining and it would be such a shame for a legacy that my grandparents built to fall away. So, that that's part of why I took the role because I felt connection to my grandparents, my grandmother in particular, because she was the one who had put the place on the map, Mm -hmm. and I would go anywhere, and people seemed to know her. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we did lose her in 2018, and so this was 2019 that I was stepping up into her role. So. In a way, that kept me there because I wanted to do right by her. I just thought it was just an amazing way to honor her legacy. And our customers and the people in the community, they recognized that. And they were so supportive and so wonderful to work with. You know, they were so excited that her granddaughter was was coming in to keep the business running for hopefully, you know, another hundred years. But with that, you know, there were other family members who had an agenda I would say and it very much was you know this is how we've always done it they kind of wanted their own glory where it wasn't about one person's glory it was about the family and protecting that legacy so you know I had a, a family member who was very supportive at first you know was, you know, whatever you need, like you have the plan, we're going to follow it. And that's when things got really hard because not even five minutes later, I would suggest something and it would be a hard no. So that was almost harder than just being told no to begin with, because I think it falls back into gaslighting where Mm -hmm. everyone's just like, oh yes, like we're going to do all this for you. It's going to be fantastic. And then instant no, right after. So it just felt like I was always hitting a wall. And just the whole atmosphere of my coworkers' attitudes, everyone was just kind of out for themselves. And there really were some bad actors that we should not have had within the family business. And, you know, I brought these concerns up. And a lot of people didn't like that I was bringing those things up so my work days would get very difficult. I actually had a place where I could go cry. <laughs> and every morning when I would get ready to go in, I would sit in the parking lot and cry for a good 5 minutes and have to mentally prepare myself to go in and face, you know, people who wouldn't talk to me, people who would shut down my ideas. Yeah. I was yelled at and belittled in front of of the public once so that was very traumatic yeah. and it was so hard to leave because in the back of my mind I was just like I'm doing this for my grandparents I'm doing this for my grandparents like I want to see this through but what I didn't see was the toll it was taking on me physically and emotionally because I would leave work and I wouldn't want to do anything you know like mm-hmm. my thing was Go ride my horse or go go see my boyfriend, go hang out with my friends. And I couldn't even do that. I would just come home and, and go to bed because I had no energy left.
3: Yeah.
1: Then I was also, you know, changing in my attitude where I would be very snappy with people and almost rude back because I was just getting so defensive of trying to protect myself. Yeah. And it just you know, whittled away at my, my self-confidence and made me think that like, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not as smart Mm -hmm. as, as I was told growing up because I seem to never have a great idea. I never seem to be able to get anything done because there's so much red tape Mm -hmm. and leaving was hard because, you know, one thing was the family connection, but also we were going through COVID and at least it was an industry that wasn't going to be shut down because it was essential. But I had to find a way out because Rachel, you know, you had
3: mm-hmm.
1: pointed out to me, she's just like, she's like, Laura, you're, you're depressed. Like you are actually depressed. And she's like, I've never seen you like this in my entire life. This isn't you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when your boss tells you, who's also a family member, that we're never going to pay you anymore. mm mm-hmm. And what? yeah. Oh yes. That I was, legal? Told that, I don't, I'm not sure if that's legal, but you know, I was, I took on a, a salary that I was just like, okay, this works for now. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm just like, I expect this because this is what I need to live. Wow. And then when that time came and I asked for more, they're like, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like you're not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I was like business, ready to pack huh? my bags. But, you know, going back to we don't always have the luxury of leaving. Yeah. And, you know, I was at the point where I was ready to take any job. Like, I was yeah. just like, I don't care. I can I can go to Starbucks and mm-hmm. make coffee. Like, I just need a way out. But then of course COVID happened. So I, you know, had to soldier on because I, I couldn't go anywhere. Like everything mm-hmm. was so unknown. Mm-hmm. that I was just like, well, at least I got a paycheck. I might be depressed, but I pay my bills. <laughs> So, I have work to go to every day. Still, yeah, yeah. I thankfully. get to leave the house. This is a privilege now. And that actually gave me time because I'm, I'm someone who firmly believes like everything happens for a reason and it happens mm-hmm. when it's supposed to happen. So it gave me time to th- think about what I really wanted to do, which was finance. Like it was something I was always passionate about. And without anyone knowing at work, I was getting my Canadian security courses, which is like a base level course to work in any financial industry. I already had my Bachelor of Commerce, so it complemented that. And then just when I couldn't take it anymore, the work opportunity came and I was gone. And I just beautifully breezed into this new position. But I actually had to take some time before I started my new job because I... (laughs) I was pretty messed up. Like I had such a complex about working, Rachel, you can attest to that, where like I lived in fear of making a mistake or not wanting to speak up because I was always just told like, oh, you're like, you're nothing. And I found it hard to even negotiate a salary because I was told I was not worth it. So, you know, it's been just over a year, like probably a little more than over a year now. And I feel myself falling into those patterns a little bit at times, but it took a very long time for me to realize, no, it wasn't me. I am worth it. I do have the confidence. I'm smart. I have all the tools to be a leader and do a good job and make a difference. Yeah. But it's so hard when repeatedly you are told you're not. which was so different from what like I grew up with, with my parents, you know, I worked alongside my parents for a very long time in their companies. And I mean, they had no problem with my work ethic or my ideas. So to go into a different situation, very difficult.
2: Yeah. And I find that we tend to take the words of strangers to heart for some reason. (laughs) Yes. And our parents can tell us we're amazing But when a stranger tells us we're not, that sort of hits harder. And I think that goes back to wanting to feel belonging, wanting to feel that connection with people around us. But a person who's toxic is going to not care, you know, Mm -hmm. whether they're narcissists, I mean, whatever their personality is, that's going to affect you at the end of the day, if you are going to wear your heart on your sleep.
1: Yeah. And I think something a lot of people don't talk about is ageism. Yeah. Because that was very much a factor yeah. of what was happening to me because I was like, you know, in my early mid twenties mm-hmm. and you know, I I had corporate background experience when I was 17 years old. So like I was not walking into a situation where I was fresh out of university like I I knew my job and I I came to work to do it but I was younger than everyone by over 45 years yeah so that was a big hurdle where they're just like this this kid she doesn't know anything like my gosh she hasn't lived yeah (laughs) so I think it was very hard for them to be like taking direction from someone who was so young yeah but also in your case it was family and so you oh, are yeah. <laughs> expecting that love,
2: mm-hmm. you know, and for, for you to be let down. I, I'm so sorry. I, that's, it breaks my heart. And, you know, and I heard from both of you that you woke up every morning not wanting to go in. Yeah. Right. And that is very, very much. That was very much my case. I woke up every morning feeling anxious mm-hmm. to go in because I knew kind of what lay ahead of me. And I'd had anxiety attacks. I'd had panic attacks. And it started out, it started out not so badly, but kind of badly now that I think back to it. But before I talk about that example, I do want to talk about sort of a lesser, serious example. I was working under a a woman and it was fantastic. She was amazing. Like, amazing amazing she was my mentor she I was really young right fresh out of college and she was like you need to go here you need to do this you need to read this book and like go to this training and like talk to these people and like she arranged for training sessions for me with people who had already been on the team because really everyone was way older than I was she took care of me and she saw that I gave back so I had started out as an intern under her and like she would give me stuff and I'd go and come back be like okay I need more and she'd be like I need you to slow down because I don't have work for you. <laughs> uh, because also as an intern, I can't do a lot, right? But but we just had a really really good relationship, and she hired me as soon as I graduated, and which I was really lucky to have that that offer. And but so she got promoted, and that meant somebody else was going to lead our team, and this woman came in, and this was review time, so she was doing my review with this new woman because she was now going to be my manager and and that transition was going to happen then. And she kind of wanted to go over, you know, feedback or like things I could do better so that she could properly transition me over to this person and who could take care of me. That year, I remember I got a 5% raise. The typical raise for an American worker is two to 3% to count
1: for inflation.
2: I got a 5% raise. And Now I know nothing about nothing. And I was like, okay, cool. 5%. Like, sounds great. Go me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we walk out of that office and this new woman, she's walking out with me. She goes, I've never gotten a 5% raise. And if you could see her face, she was like disgusted by the fact that I got a 5% raise. And I remember feeling so awkward about it. And. Again, not knowing what to make out of that situation, but I was just like, that's a weird thing to say (laughs) to somebody who you're going to now lead. And I ended up leaving there. Like, I never really got that kind of support from her. She was kind of just like, she was more like if you had a project manager, she was more like a status keeper than anything else. So it was really interesting. But, you know, I left there pretty early on, so I didn't really get to experience a lot there. But again, that wasn't as bad as what I've faced much later. And you guys have heard some of it through my previous episodes. But as I was hearing you talk, an example that came to my mind was when I started newly in this job, there was a process where I felt like there was a lot of disconnect. And if we just had this one meeting, then we could solve that disconnect. Because a lot of times a good relationship is really just about communication.
3: Mm -hmm, And
2: for me, it was if we just had this one meeting before the final step, I think it would resolve a lot of issues. And so I, I kind of suggested that and the boss of the people who I suggested this meeting to wrote to my boss, did not talk to me, by the way, wrote to my boss. He was visiting his family and I got an email from him saying, I do not want you to put in any processes in place because you are a junior employee and that is not okay. Okay. Wow. And I like, I remember reading that email and going, Whoa, what did I do? I mean, like, like, did I do it wrong or something? Biggest like, mistake of my life. Like, <laughs> all I did was suggest a meeting. But this, it was like this huge thing. And I remember going, I really, I saw the disconnect and I know I wanted to do this project well. So I suggested this. I'm not sure why this is a big deal. And I think that he he then wrote back and said, no, it's just, you know, you haven't been there, you haven't been here for a while. Like, you know, as you go through things, once you have been here for a while, it, it'll be okay to make those suggestions. It's not right now. So he calmed down. Mm-hmm. But that first email, because it wasn't even like, I don't want you to make any changes. It was, I do not want you to make changes.
1: And we're not allowed to provide input in this company. (laughs) No,
2: sir. Right. You are
0: not supposed to try to improve efficiency
1: at all. (laughs) Nope. How dare
2: you? (laughs) And, and I was like, okay, but that was one of the things that told me I needed to ask before I took decisions. Kind of like you, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the same thing. Well, you you can't make decisions on your own. Like, that's literally what I was told at one point. You can't make decisions on your own. I I need to see you decide for yourself. But when you've done these things in between where I have made decisions and you've said, how dare you? What do you think that does to me? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm afraid to take the next step because I don't know what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. that fear, like, really took over me where I found myself not being able to make that decision. For Mm -hmm. projects, because I didn't want to be Mm reprimanded, even if it was an email, like it hurt. Yeah, and it became this. It became a constant thing. And at one point, in a one-on-one meeting, I was asked. He asked me if I had any opinions of my own, and because I had been unable to make decisions. Yeah, and. I, that stuck with me for a really, really long time, not knowing how to respond to that in my meeting, I kind of went into, yes, I have an opinion about this. That's like, I kind of just yeah. like off this and it was just not okay. I mean, and it's one of those things where I didn't realize in the moment that that was so wrong, but I did come out feeling really small, you yeah. know, like I was asked if, if I could basically think for myself in an ideal situation, if they saw that I was having a hard time making decisions, maybe they would sit down with me and ask me, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I see this happening. What can we do to help you make decisions? You know, mm-hmm. what what's missing there? Let's talk about it versus you can't make decisions on your own. And some of those situations were like ambush, really. Like I was put yeah. in a situation where it was like, I remember one time I got a meeting invite at six o'clock in the evening for a meeting the next day for something Mm -hmm. that would take me forever to prepare for. Yeah. So I worked all night. Like I did not sleep that night because I was like, I'm not going to have a job tomorrow morning if I'm not ready with this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, really, really, really bad. Not knowing how I felt. And, And I think one of, one of you mentioned this on one of your earlier podcasts where you went in confident and yeah. you came out with like the biggest imposter syndrome. And that's how yep. I felt. Yeah. I was broken. I was broken. And it definitely took me a long time. I had nightmares of being back yeah. in the place of going through the same situations. I had anxiety attacks in my nightmares. <laughs> like it's so bad. It's like in my psyche. And, oh God, I mean, I'm just so glad I'm not in those situations anymore. But yeah, it took me a while to get out of them. It took me a while to realize that what was happening wasn't okay. And I'm so glad that I'm no longer in those situations. And I hope,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I hope people listening to this, I hope if you are kind of going through the same thing that you're realizing you're in a toxic situation and you need to leave as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Nothing is worth you being broken down like that. All right. So moving into dating, Rachel, take us away.
0: <laughs> okay. And, and I did, I did something was just coming up for me as you were telling your story, Preeti, that I wanted to make sure I brought up before we moved on. Yeah, And I know exactly what you're talking about, where it it's not, necess- you ha- you're so worried about making a decision because you don't know which one is going to be praised. Mm -hmm. And which one you're essentially going to be told you're useless for. Yeah. And that's how I felt when I was in my job in the film industry was I was so I was terrified to send an email asking for somebody if they could meet at a specific time. Oh, my God. Because I was worried I had to CC my boss on everything, by the way. And then I got in trouble for sending her too many emails (laughs) but
2: you can't win right that's you
0: can't win and I just remember this fear of every time I wrote an email and I still carry this with me even now Laura can attest to this where I will I will read an email over and over again sometimes for 30 minutes because I'm so scared of am I going to be praised or am I going to be told I did this wrong and you're dumb yeah so I know exactly how that felt, and I'm very happy that you got out when you did. So
2: I'm glad we all left those situations.
1: <laughs> I hope we're all we're all in happier from. situations. We're now all in good situations.
2: <laughs> but that doesn't, yeah. you know, like it's it's interesting. Like I was talking to somebody, and they were like, "I'm sorry you went through that, but I'm glad you're doing this." And I wanted not not to nitpick, but I wanted to say. I'd rather not have gone through it. Yeah. I'd rather still be that whole person that I was graduating from college.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And and not be doing this work.
1: So (laughs) no, because a part of yourself, like even now, I still second guess myself. Yeah. On things that I know. Like I know I'm doing it correctly. Yeah. But I have to, you know, again, like Rachel said, going back and reading an email, I'm like, I need to go back and just make sure, like, did I do this yeah. right? Did I offend anyone? So it stays with you for a very
2: long time. Trauma informed decisions can be very, very hard on, on, on us and on the people who are going to be affected by those situations or impacted by those situations. Like I am, I am highly anxiety prone yeah, <laughs> for, because of these situations. And I see that sort of come into play when I'm dealing with my children, because I want to protect them from everything, Mm -hmm. every single situation. And I think, and I overthink, and I see it that it's debilitating Mm -hmm. and I know I need to seek therapy and I'm going to the first chance I have, but I, I literally had this conversation with my husband last night where I was like, I have what people call high functioning anxiety. Yeah. And I go about my life. In in this constant mode of this can go wrong and that can go wrong. And if I, if I read something bad, I'm like checking the doors 20 times, the locks 20 times and check, like it really can be debilitating. It can, it can impact yeah. my life. I can normally go about my life. But I, what I realized was because of these situations, I used to be an extrovert and I started finding myself being an introvert. Like I just didn't have the energy, like you said, also, yeah to deal with new relationships. So it stays with you absolutely for a really long time. And it can take a lot, a lot of healing to really mm-hmm. learn to trust again. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. One, one thing that I really hope we start to move away from as a collective is the, I, you've probably definitely seen it on Instagram or like videos or something where it's like your trauma made you who you are. And it's just like, in a sense, sure, I I wouldn't have had to be strong in the way or we wouldn't have been strong in the way that we were if that thing didn't happen. But it's not the trauma that made you who you are now. It's your own character. Mm-hmm. And I just I wish that it would it wouldn't like that. We would just move away from being like, oh, you're now who you are because that mm-hmm. happened to you specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's just like that's not that takes away your autonomy
2: in a way, I think. I agree. Mental Mm -hmm. health can, you know, especially depreciating mental health can literally be fatal. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I would rather not go through it. Yeah. So anyway, moving on from
0: one heavy thing to another. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the the dating. I I kind of had to pick and choose which one I was <laughs> going to tell cuz I had a rough time with dating in college. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just, just to like lighten the mood a little bit. I was talking to my mom last night and I was just like, yeah, we have this interview tomorrow. I don't know. Like, I think I'm going to tell this story. And she kind of made a joke where she's just like, Oh, you got, that's, those are good topics. You got some good material. (laughs) You have so much content to work with. (laughs) I have so much content. And I was just like, (laughs) it's just, I've gotten to a point (laughs) and like, we have together where she can say that. And I'm like, you're right. I do. This is great. But I wanted to tell the one that I'm going, to tell because physical abuse in relationships is it's hard to get out of but it's easy to recognize Mm -hmm. where when it's psychological manipulation which this was it's very hard to recognize when you're in it yeah because it starts to feel you know you just you don't see it it's Mm -hmm. such a it's usually such a like Subconscious, like little things happening that once you actually realize it, like it's been like a year. So I actually told a bit of this story in our Disaster Dates episode, Freedy, which you have listened to. Which I told the the one funny part of this story. And when I when I look back at this situation, I chose to do it because to this day, even thinking about telling it, I was like, it wasn't that bad. Like, should I tell this story? Like, maybe it wasn't what it was. And even I've been watching what you've been doing about gaslighting, which is why I thought to do this, because even with that, I'm like, well, I don't think I should call it gaslighting. I think I'll just maybe just call it manipulation. And it's like, that's exactly why we need to tell this story, because it's like, to this day, I'm still in that denial about it. Yeah. And Thinking about how I got here, I think it was just this person was somebody who they couldn't be alone and Mm -hmm. they kind of like to have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I met this person, I had had like a big, almost reset of my life. So I was figuring out who I was again. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, it was just the perfect pairing for not so good of a time. And we never dated. It was just Kind of a situation chip, as the kids say, Mm -hmm. and I'll kind of just give a couple examples because I don't want to go situation by situation because we don't have four hours. But so it the at first it was okay, like it was just developing how a normal university relationship would. It was nothing alarming, but the first thing was I had started kind of drifting away because I was like, okay, I don't think this is working, and I got a message from this person asking to meet up with me. And I get this, it was like a two hour long conversation of this like sob story of, well, I'm going through this and I'm going through this essentially getting me to feel bad for them and to care. And this is where I started to notice that I, the lying was happening. So I got told in that meeting that I'm, I don't want to date anybody for a long time and I'm not going to or I don't wanna be seeing somebody. And I remember, but this, this had come after everything of like, uh, oh, like I'm going through this, like this is really hard. So I left that meeting like in tears because I was just like, oh my God, he's going through such a bad time. And I'm just like, how nice of him that he would let me in on that. Mm. I, like it was such a weird situation that I was in. So you and were then- going to
2: break up when he told you this story?
0: Like I had sort of started to drift away. Okay. So you'll find that this is a very common theme in this story is that whenever I started to drift away, Mm. he would do something to pull me back. It was kind of that like edging thing where it's like, you give me just enough for who I am as a person that I'll stay. And then like a week later, I find out from somebody else after I'd been told, like, I don't want to be seeing anybody that this person was seeing their ex-girlfriend. Oh my God. And I was just kind of like, okay, so I just got lied to basically. Mm-hmm. And when I confronted him about it, not because of the fact that I like really cared about that that much, but I was like, why did you lie to me? Yeah. Then he like is like, oh, well, yeah, like I guess, I guess I am. And but then went back into another sob story of like, well, I'm struggling with this and like I don't know where I'm at with this stuff. But he was kind of still leading me on even though he was in whatever this situation was. So it was like, he was telling me like, oh, I maybe I'm going to try to see this through with her while he was flirting with me during the conversation. So it was a very like- So I he's with is... you
2: and probably still talking to her, like texting her in the same moment. Yes,
0: in the yeah. same moment. So like, I hope I hope this is making sense because it was all such subtle stuff that it's hard to- No, it does. Yeah. What and I'm then... hearing
2: is he took you for granted Yes. And when you realize he was taking you for granted and you started to say, okay, maybe this isn't going to work out. He would come back and be like, oh wait, she's not paying as much attention to me and I need all this attention. So let me bombard her with my sob stories or texts or whatever, this attention. And then the Mm -hmm. moment you were like, oh, okay, things are okay. Then he'd be like, whoa. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Now now, pretty, you're a little bit better with like all the terms and definitions, but would you consider that love bombing? I know that's like a new one floating around and I personally don't. No, yeah, exactly. Very much. How
2: that's defined, but it's also gaslighting. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's a, it's very much a form of control. So, yeah. you know, I've heard to, I've heard stories from friends who said they've been in situations. Maybe they're texting this person a lot, and the person would say, "You know, I think we need a break." Yeah, and that would be their way of saying, "Whoa, you're too much for me." And then, yeah. and then my friends would get super hurt. And then they would come back and say, oh, you know, same. It was mm-hmm. Something was happening in my life that caused me to do it. Like I was yeah. responsible for my actions.
0: Yeah. So can that's definitely how it would be. Or even one time before it got even deeper, I confronted him about something and he was like, well, that's just how my life is right now. If you can't deal with that, then you can go. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, I think I texted you about that, Laura, that day. And it was just like... It just hit me as a person where I want to help and take care of somebody and be understanding that it just, it would always hit that chord in me where I was like, okay, I'll stick it out. And then it did, it did culminate where we did briefly start dating for a little bit conveniently right after the one thing with his, with another person ended going into that can't ever be alone thing Mm -hmm. is just, I was there and it, it really was like love bombing. So like, I was getting all these like flirty text messages, like heart emojis, all this stuff. Which when you're like a 21 year old college girl, like texting with heart emojis, you're like, oh my god, yeah. He I says know. good he he loves me. to me you're every on day. Cloud nine. I know. Um, <laughs> he looked at me <laughs> like, oh my god, wow. Are we gonna get married? And this is this had happened a couple other times, but another thing that was going on and maybe this falls under gaslighting as well, is putting me – well, not – more manipulation. I don't know. See, I still have a difficult time defining things. And that's okay. He would put me into situations where I was in a vulnerable situation if he was going to confront me about something. So I remember one night – like, this was my senior year, too. So, like, I had finished all my assignments. Like, we went to a party. I was having a good time, right? and we were talking after the party and obviously i was not in the place to have a very serious conversation and he confronts me about something where when we had stopped stopped briefly seeing each other somebody who was kind of like a mutual acquaintance of ours like slept over at my house
3: mm-hmm.
0: like nothing nothing happened it was another guy but like nothing happened literally just slept over after a party he was like looked up at me as I was like very clearly not in a place to be vulnerable or to chat. And he was just like, so when were you going to tell me about that? But at the same time that that one experience happened, he had a whole other relationship with another person. And it was like pretty much his behavior towards me changed completely after that, Mm -hmm. where it was just like, it felt almost like, Oh, she's tainted. So I'm not going to invest any more time in her, which was hard because I was just like, I was doing exactly what you wanted. Like you didn't want this with me. So I was off doing my own thing while you were doing very much your own thing. I don't understand. And it it did continue on into the summer a bit before I finally (laughs) wound up ending it. And I had to go, I was like, Laura can attest to this, but I was very depressed. Like I thought I was going crazy and I could not like heal. Like I was like, why am I still feeling this way that I decided to see a therapist Mm -hmm. just to have somebody to talk to because I couldn't understand what had happened. And she, it took me, um, two sessions to tell my whole story. And the first session she, I hadn't finished it. And she was like, oh, I think you're dealing with grief. Like, I feel like you're going through grief at this time and that's what you need to process. At the end of the next session where I ended my story, she was just like, I take it back. That's not what you're dealing with. You were manipulated. Yeah. And just to have somebody, especially when you're like 20, 21, mm-hmm. to have like a professional look at your situation and be like, you didn't make it up. This yeah. wasn't right. Just like changed everything in your for head. Me.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: and I just I just remember I just like cried yeah. that day and it it definitely did help me heal because then it was like it took out that onus on me of like oh you're nuts because I did start to think that about myself okay. I was just like I clearly made all of this up like I mm-hmm. crafted this situation in my head he didn't do anything wrong but that's that's wasn't true yeah so and what I find
2: this is... sorry, that was like very heavy. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. Thank you for sharing. Really, thank you to both of you for for sharing your stories. Um, what I find, and again, this is also something I found in my friends' stories, is abusers. They won't ever call themselves abusers, right? No. They won't ever say they did that intentionally. Mm-hmm. But they're they very much know what they're doing. Yeah. And if they don't know initially, they will realize that they're doing it, but they don't care because it's all about them and what makes them feel happy and what makes them feel satisfied. And that's where I think people, you know, who ghost, but then come back. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing where, okay, I have this cool thing and you're okay. You're like my side piece. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go deal with this thing. And then when that kind of fizzles, I'll come back to you because I know you're still going to come back to me. Yeah. And they take advantage of that. And the person on the other end who's loving and giving and innocent is mm-hmm. going to go back because again, we crave that belonging. Yeah. I
0: remember I, when I did end it, I, cause I had graduated. So we were not living in the same place and, you know, he was like being pretty cruel with things he would Like, he wasn't being purposely cruel in a way where he was like trying to hurt me with his words, but like, he would make sure that I knew that like he was going to bars to flirt with other girls and stuff. Wow. And I remember you would
1: drive back to three hours, three hours back to university town just to be a part of those events that you were, that you used to be in. Yeah. So, yeah, like that was so hard to watch you go through.
0: Wow. And I remember I, I, part of it was that just because Laura and I have been listening to Red Taylor's version a lot lately. (laughs) (laughs) And this one line that is, was sticking with me is it's she, I don't know if you've heard the song Better Man that by Little Big Town that they had originally done that version. And there's this one line where she says, I wish it wasn't 4am standing in the mirror saying to myself, you had to, you know, you had to do it. The bravest thing I ever did was run. Yeah. Like I had that moment where I was literally at his house looking in the mirror and I was like, you're going to go in there and you're going to say, this is over. And I did. And I literally, was like tearing up the whole time. And I said to him, if I leave today and I didn't end it, when was the next time you were going to text me or when was the next time you were going to ask me to visit? And he didn't have an answer. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, that's everything I need to know Mm -hmm. to leave the situation and something that is really important that I, especially for any of your younger listeners or in university or something, those situations where a guy is like, oh, I don't want a relationship right now. Mm-hmm. But like, let's keep hanging out. Mm-hmm. I know we don't want to say, call it for what it is, but it is a manipulation tactic. Yeah. And it's not, if somebody's doing that to you, you are better off on your own. Yeah. Like, just focus on yourself. Unless, like, unless maybe you also don't want one, then sure, yeah, do it. Yeah, but like, if if you are in a situation where you want a relationship and the person mm-hmm. you are pursuing is leading you on, but being like, "But we're not like that,"
2: yeah, that's not, it's not right. I think people call it casual dating or having an open relationship, or I don't want to make it exclusive.
0: Yeah, and what and another that? big. Another big thing I learned from that is I was thinking, I don't know if you've seen this speech from her, but Halsey has something that she said in a lot of interviews about a song she wrote where she says, the butterflies that you get is usually a warning sign from your body saying Mm -hmm. that something's not right, which I I agree and disagree with. And I think an important thing that I learned to look out for is, is the butterflies and nervousness in my stomach because I'm excited. Or because I'm scared and I don't trust this person,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and that's it's a difficult thing to find a distinction from. But it was a very important thing that I learned was that you know when you're flirting with somebody or texting them from for the first time, you shouldn't be sitting there for you know hours and hours being like, "Are they going to text me back?"
2: Yeah,
0: like that's usually not not good. So, yeah, sorry. Your bar story <laughs> reminded me.
2: No, again, thank you both for sharing these stories. Your bar story reminded me of a story that my friend once told me that she went out with somebody and it was a similar situation, you know, like not wanting to put a label. And she said he he told her that if the bartender that night had given him her number, he would have gone home with her. And that, I mean, it's hard to hear. It's hard to think about it too, mm-hmm. but people make those statements. They take human life very lightly, yeah. Because again, mental health, these mental wounds, can literally cost somebody their life. Yeah, and and it has cost people their life,
1: and I I don't think people realize that. Yeah, Laura. Yeah. Well, and just before we go into my story. It's so, it was such a hard time watching this happen to my best friend because, you know, she would call me on her way back home after these ordeals and, you know, you just, you just want to help, Mm -hmm. but it's caught in such a loop that it's so hard for, for them to break out of. And, and Rachel, we kind of like finally defined it for you. that would be my key to step in and and stop you from going into these thought loops. And, you know, yeah. we would just say like, Oh, Rachel, you're starting to spin because mm-hmm. she would tell me what, what happened. And it would start off the, the real story of like, okay, like, like he was just an ass to me. Like he yeah. Yeah. completely belittled me or, or stood me up or, you know, gaslit me. Mm-hmm. But then, she, you would come back around and say the story again and it would slowly turn to where like, oh, well, maybe I like didn't yeah. do something properly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Rachel remembers as well in Thailand when we were on a yeah. trip together. <laughs> that was such a t- turning point in our friendship and a bonding experience because we just got like so open mm-hmm. with, with our communication and like just on a soul level. Of how we can actually help each other yeah. as mm-hmm. friends, and I mean, I I've kind of watched your journey, Rachel, of you recovering from yeah. that because you did have to recover, and it took you such a long time. And I'm so proud of you because, like, because like you know, it, you didn't let that become a pattern for the rest of your relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a mm-hmm. a beautiful relationship now uh, with your boyfriend and. It's so empowering to see that when you notice a pattern that you used Mm -hmm. to do, you're able to step in and stop it. And I feel like that is like the ideal situation of how you can overcome toxic Mm -hmm. relationships. You know, it takes, it takes other people and it really takes a lot of Mm self-awareness to be able to, to move past and, and not let it repeat itself. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and because you start to make excuses for that person because you love them like at the end of the day you love them you want to be loved and you start excusing that behavior like I've I've done that with my friends where I've had to say you're making excuses for them they've done that for me where they've said you're making excuses for him and just reminding each other that if this was happening to our friend if this was happening to our children that we wouldn't allow it yeah, and and taking that step back and say, why are we tolerating it? I, I we don't love ourselves the way we want other people to love us, and I find that very much a consequence of patriarchy as women, because we're supposed to please
1: everyone, right? We we keep yeah. the peace,
2: <laughs> yeah, and that confidence is not there from us from the beginning, and we find ourselves in these situations. And we learned that confidence the hard way, but again, it becomes trauma-informed. So it takes a while for it to pivot into this is who I am, not I'm Mm going to do this because I remember when I did this last time, this is what happened.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And and a, a perfect example of this, what we were just talking of, what we just talked about of how of how you step in for your friends is the same relationship, but I had sent a message expressing my feelings Mm -hmm. and how it hurt me. And I didn't get a response for a month. And I remember I texted Laura and I was just like, Oh, like finally responded. And I was making excuses. I was just like, Oh, well, there was a lot of heavy content in there. Like I'm sure he needed time to pro like a month. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I remember getting a text from Laura where she was like, bullshit, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and watch my best friend go yeah. through this and make excuses for this person because it's too yeah. little too late. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so Mad, at her
1: you were angry. Like she, I was, was so
2: mad. <laughs> how dare you talk about yeah. the love of my life that way? Yeah, like, I
1: know. you don't know. Like I know. you would have thought he was a puppy, and I kicked him. <laughs> That's I know how mad she got. Yeah.
0: But yeah. when I look That's back on it, but when I look back on it, I was just like, you know what? I'm so glad and so fortunate that I had someone in my life then that wasn't just going to let me just run in circles. And continue uh, that pattern.
2: I got to get a <laughs> box of tissues for this. <laughs> I was not ready. <laughs> no. i Sorry, there pretty. Are people when in come around, it's of, like, it weird. gets very emotional. <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, I brought this on myself. <laughs> we could have talked
1: but, about Harry Potter, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hermione.
2: But, you know, but, but really a lot of us are going through these situations right now. Yeah. Not us specifically, but a lot of people listening are, and they're going to hear this and they're going to say, I need to take a step back and think about this. And I say this a lot. And I said, I said this in the course this morning too, when I was teaching it. And I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm telling them to leave situations. Like, no, I mean, in any, any situation, there's going to be some sort of adversity and you owe it to yourself to try to work through it so that you don't at the end of the day say oh i wish i had done things differently <laughs> but there are going to be certain situations that even if it's the first time that happens you need to absolutely leave yeah and not go through this you know emotional turmoil cuz you're right you start to spin Love is this like addictive drug that when mm-hmm. we get even some of it, we are hooked and we want so much more of it that even the tiniest thing can send a spinning and we will do everything to protect this other person who's hurting us, who's actively yeah. hurting us. And we wouldn't want that for our children. No. And if you can't think about yourself that way, which we have all been there we've all done that. We've all said, I am doing something wrong. Or, you know, like, I just, even when we realize that we want things to be different, we don't know how to get out of it, because we love that person so much. So those blinders are definitely there. And so if you're listening, and if you're going through something like this, like really step back and try to evaluate the position you're in. My friend is actively in something. And She wanted to take some space and he was like, no. Mm -hmm. And I told her that's not a good sign that she should be able to leave and get some fresh air to think about things. But I think he fears that if she leaves, she's not going to come back. And if she does that, then that means things really are broken. Yeah. But when we're in the moments, we have a really hard time seeing those things. Unless mm-hmm. somebody's like actively pointing it to us over and over. But then we will going to get mad at them to be like, you don't, you know, you don't appreciate this person or you don't understand <laughs> what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, life is crazy. Anyway, <laughs> Laura,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. So my story, it definitely goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode about where we are in our development and, you know, what we're able to, to process and, and. Do for ourselves. So I'm kind of hoping, like, if you have any like younger listeners, this will resonate with them. I was dating a man, and he was five years older than me. And you know, he was the first man I had relations with. Um, relations. <laughs> don't want to be too too, too explicit <laughs> for the show. And at the time, like, I I was just so young because like, I didn't date in high school. I rode horses. I I did not have time for boys. So it was not until first year university that, you know, boys even really noticed me. So all of a sudden it was just like, Oh my God, I have attention and I want more of it. You know, going back into the, to that cycle of like, Oh, there's love. I need more love. And I was just like, I need more attention. And I had a fear that if, if I didn't do what he wanted I would lose him and I didn't have enough confidence in myself to be like, I could just get another man. Like Mm -hmm, nowadays at like almost 30, I'm just like, oh, you're going to the curb. Okay. Well, I can have a new one of you like (laughs) Mm -hmm. tomorrow. But at the time, like I, you know, I wasn't confident in my body. I wasn't sure of myself. I didn't know what I wanted and I was just so impressionable. Mm -hmm. So Even when it came to friendships, like I was just like, okay, like walking on eggshells, I want to make sure you like me Mm -hmm. and you keep liking me. So very much so when it came into kind of my first relationship, I was just like, okay, don't don't be annoying. Like be cute. Always look really pretty because I want to keep this man coming around. Shave yourself head to toe. Oh my God. Like get waxed. (laughs) Um, On point at all times, perfect Victoria's Secret underwear, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything. To the nines. (laughs) To the nines. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh, sorry, boyfriend. (laughs) I can't have like one hair of, you know, mustache
2: hair. Oh, right. Like everything
1: has to be perfectly in place and like legit every time like we'd go out on a date or like he'd come over, I'd go over. I was always like, okay, perfect. (laughs) Because it's exhausting, right? so exhausting and I don't know how anyone maintains it, but that's what I felt like I needed to be. Mm -hmm. So he would like me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I just lacked confidence in relationships because it was all new to me. Like I had no experience. I'd never experienced heartbreak before or, you know, gone on several dates at that point. I was just happy that someone was paying attention to me because Mm -hmm. in high school, you know, all all my, all my friends had, you know, boyfriends and crushes and all that kind of stuff, but no one ever really paid attention to me, partly because I was never there. (laughs) Um, So that was a really hard lesson to learn. And when it came down to it, I, I wanted a boyfriend, like I wanted to experience the first relationship Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and see what that felt like. But for him, I was just a good time. You know, I was just a girl who was like down the street and you know, I was cute. I was young and like we had fun hanging out. Yeah. And I did bring it up. I was just like, you know, um, like, is this a relationship? You know, are we are we like boyfriend girlfriend? And he's just like, well, that's not really what I want. Like I just kind of like like dating and just just hanging out with you. And then immediately, I still remember my exact response. Was, oh, me too. Absolutely. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. Because I was too afraid Mm -hmm. to stand up for myself and lose this attention. And Um, I
2: think you probably thought that maybe things would change.
1: Absolutely. I thought, like, well, he just gets to get to know me a little bit more. And then, like, I'll be the only one he ever wants to be with. And I just would tell myself all these stories and lies. Just to make it seem okay. And the thing is like, you know, I was still in university. Mm -hmm. He was working full time. Like we were on completely different life paths. And there was one situation, turns out he's quite the player because this coworker that I had for like a summer job, he would jog by like where I was working and I, Mm -hmm. I would see him. And she saw it. She's like, see that guy running by? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, he hit on me like a couple months ago at a soccer Mm -hmm. game. So, and like this girl, she looked very similar to me. So really, we were just his type. And I was, you know, she was a little bit older and more experienced than I was. So I was the one that fell for it. That Mm -hmm. must have broken your heart though. Oh my God. It took me an unreasonable amount of time to get no, over this relationship. It's not It really wasn't a real relationship. No, no, no. What and I want you guys to though? watch your words. Like, I really need you to
2: be careful about your words. You are not unreasonable to think that way.
1: You're oh, not
2: you. <laughs> like, don't apologize for these. Like, it, As you continue to tell these stories, don't apologize. Mm-hmm. Your reactions are perfectly valid. The way you felt is perfectly valid for what was happening because you don't deserve that. And like I'm going to like smack your hands virtually if you say that again. Please, do. please, because we because do it's not it. right, it really mm-hmm. isn't. What you felt mm-hmm. was very real.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. I it was a whole relationship in yeah. my head, and the thing was like it was a it was a summer fling yeah. kind of thing, and I kind of like so at that point where he said, I don't want a relationship, yeah. I then became someone who was not myself because I said fine I can go flirt with other boys too and I went through a period where I was like burning through men and Mm. like just I would hang out with them and I'd be like going on a date and I'm like hey this is cute all right I'm done with you
2: and that's not who you are
1: and it was because I wanted to make him jealous yeah of being like well you know what you can get other girls. So I can get other guys, no problem. And I had no confidence in myself. Like it was all just a facade. And really what I wanted was him. So when I went back to university, like I had to go back to the city and we would text every once in a while. And I I remember over Christmas, I was like, I think I just wished him Merry Christmas. Like we weren't really talking at that point. And the text back that I get was like, oh, Merry Christmas. Do you want to come over later? Oh, my God. Yeah. For a booty call. <laughs> <laughs> what a way. Stop. It's just like, Merry Christmas. You can come over if you feel like it. Merry yeah. Christmas. He's like, he's like oh, are you in town? Yeah. Yeah. Like legit. Did not talk to me while I was not in town. But then like when yeah. I said, oh, Merry Christmas, he's like, oh, are you home for the holidays? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, well, you should come over then. Mm. Right? Like all of a sudden I was convenient. Yeah. Again and yeah. no, I did not go over. By that point, I was like, "No, <laughs> you, this <laughs> is good, not thanks. who you want to be." Boundaries, yeah. yeah, boundaries. You know, I had I had learned a lot yeah. by that point because I was realizing that, like, okay, this man, like, he totally gaslit me. Like, yeah. you know, he just kept reeling me in just enough mm-hmm. so I wouldn't leave, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then would cast me up when I was no longer convenient. But it took so long for me to k- overcome. That relationship because constantly like every once in a while like it would be a birthday or over the summertime he would just be like hey like he just like would pop up in yeah very convenient ways mm-hmm. and luckily by that next summer I was in my relationship that I am in now that I have been in for the past like seven years yay yeah yeah no very it's, <laughs> it's lovely he's he's a wonderful man and it it kind of opened my eyes because when i started dating him he actually cared about yeah. who i was like i felt like i didn't have to be this this model of mm-hmm. like a perfect woman you know he saw me cry he saw me at my worst and you know hair out of place and yeah. disheveled yeah. exam modes at at times and that's when i was just like wow this is real love where yeah, yeah. They actually love you unconditionally, and you know, they just accept you for who you are yeah. and they don't try to push their own views. You know, they actually communicate what they want, yeah. and they're honest about it. so that was that was kind of my journey. So thank you for saying, you know, I'm not crazy for yes. thinking <laughs> that like it took me a long time to overcome it because it was you know, honestly, it was a couple of years into my current relationship that he would pop into my mind and I'd be like, Oh, I wonder what that would have been like. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then finally I was just like, Laura, you need to, to wake up. Like that yeah. was never going to be anything. It's never like, meant to be
2: from the very beginning. Be yeah. Very I, beginning. Yeah. Very beginning. These people have, have told us this isn't going anywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But we tell they ourselves did. a story.
2: Right, but we say yes. we can change that. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah,
1: yeah, because that's what I thought yeah. it was just like, okay, he doesn't want to be exclusive now, but like, give him a few months, he'll want to. Just- Wait, you're, you're like, he's secretly
0: in love with me. He just doesn't realize no it. <laughs>
1: yeah, he hasn't figured it out yet. It's like a um, movie.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, but really, I, I, the I true do... people. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I want to ask you a question, Laura, because we went through very similar experiences with first relationships. And I wanted to ask because the same thing for me, it was very, it was a similar situation where we weren't really dating and it was very hard to overcome like that heartbreak. And I wanted to ask, cause I know it was this way for me. Do you think the fact that for us growing up, since we didn't have that cute boyfriend experience in high school, well, all of our friends did, you kind of had created something where it's like, if I do everything that they want me to do and I am perfect That's how I will get them to like me. And do you think part of that heartbreak was also feeling like, oh, even when I'm doing everything they want, they still didn't want me in the end. I don't know if that's making
1: sense because that hit me when I was that age. So yeah, it definitely was a blow to my confidence Mm -hmm. for sure. And
2: like, even at my best, I'm not acceptable.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like, even if I'm looking like to me, my version of perfect, wow, I'm still like, I must be a really shitty person, right? Like I must be awful. Yeah. (laughs) No one's ever going to want me. That was definitely. We take it as
2: we're not worthy.
1: Yeah. We're not worthy. And that definitely stuck with me definitely before that relationship, mainly because like boys were new to me. It wasn't until I went to university. And had a social life that, you know, I started being recognized. So whether or not, like, it had happened in high school, I don't know if it would have made a difference. Because I I still would have been that that young girl who mm-hmm. wasn't confident in her body, who wasn't confident in who she was and what she wanted. So I'm not sure if age would have made a difference. I think it was harder mm-hmm. in my situation only because, like, I was 20 at the time and he was 25. Yeah. So that's that's a big gap. Like it's not a big at, gap to some age. people. Yeah. But at that age, that yeah. is a completely de- like on yeah. a developmental. Like 40, uh,
2: 45 isn't that oh that's yeah, nothing. 20, 25, yeah. yeah.
1: There's that's yeah, There's are you're, you're just like, like, out of
2: your teen years and this person's been out for a while.
1: Exactly. So I think maybe had this happened in high school, like obviously, you know, it might have been me at 15 with a 17-year-old, where I think we both maybe wouldn't have had the experience, like it would have been mm-hmm. kind of new for all of us. But for him, this wasn't new. Yeah. It was just, new, right? So, you know, I think the that's best what makes it a little ones? bit harder. I, I think guess. that made it hurt a little bit more because it was more that grown up situation for him, where for me, I was just like, I'm still a kid. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think <laughs> I'm going back to this. It's exhausting to constantly be somebody who you're not like, you need to be able to chill, right? It's like that Drake song. Um, What's it? Sweatpants, hair tie, chilling with no makeup on. Like that's when you're the prettiest, (laughs) like find yourself a man who thinks you're the prettiest when you're in sweatpants (laughs) with no makeup with your hair. Absolutely. That is gold. Okay. Not somebody who, you know, can only appreciate you If you are in lingerie with like the perfect hair and the perfect makeup and the perfect ear, whatever it is, you deserve to be loved for who you are. And it's funny because I think men a lot of times are like, I just want to be accepted for who I am. Like, why are you trying to change me? But that goes back to you were somebody else at the beginning of the relationship. I'm not trying to change you, but that's how you hooked me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and now that's gone. So, like, where yeah. is that person? Because that's the person I fell for, not um, whoever oh, this is right now. Yes, yes, you know, and yeah. So my story is <laughs> this one. Actually, left it's not as deep as as you know your guys' stories, but I want to bring it up because even though it wasn't for that long or or a lot, I it left a mark with me and it really broke me down. So again, say point around like graduating from college. I just turned 21. Mm -hmm. And in America, you, that's like your drinking age. That's a legal drinking age. So I was so excited. And this was at my roommate's wedding and her cousin started flirting with me. And I didn't realize like, this is how naive I was. Like I'd never been in a relationship. Really. My mom would never allow me to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you know, like I couldn't even bring up dating with my parents without them being like, okay, so you want to get married? Like, are you ready to get married? <laughs> so, yeah, but, but that's a lot of their baggage too from their culture and their, their bringing. I don't fault them for it. You know, I, I know they do the best with what they know and what, what the, you know, the tools they have. And so, if you're lovingly married in a loving relationship, you're safe from all that heartache. So, there is some reasoning behind it. I get it. Oftentimes, though, I feel like it's not preparing us for the real world. So, Anyway, so he's flirting with me. I have no idea that he's doing this. And one of the bridesmaids was like, hey, I think he's into you. And I was like, oh, somebody's into you. Like, wow. It's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it is. And I, like, I would then, I then started paying attention to things he was doing. Like he would come over and be like, hey, do you want to grab a drink? And I had just turned 21. So I was like, so excited that I didn't have to say, actually, I can't drink. And mm-hmm. we hung out a lot like he, even though he wasn't assigned to my table at the wedding, he like came and sat with me and like, he was just like, star- you know, like initially when you like somebody like you just constantly look at them like it was, yeah. it, it was all of that it was like the perfect thing after the wedding they were going out for drinks to this bar and again just having turned to it it's like a superpower I was like yeah I can come to this bar <laughs> so like they got like this VIP service there's like champagne coming to and and all of this things happening and I was like wow this is so cool and it was actually one of my first experiences being in a bar like that and having experienced what VIP service can look like or feel like you know and it was cool like we even thinking back, I feel like we had a really good conversation. Like it was intriguing. We were, we were learning a lot about each other and we talked for like hours. I don't think I went to bed until like four o'clock and really all we did was talk. At the end of the night, it was just the two of us in the hotel lobby and we were just talking just like life. And, and I felt like we had a connection. And so we exchanged numbers at the end of the night. And I was like, I'll just figure out a way to explain this to my mom somehow. I don't know how, but we were texting. Like the moment we got up, I had a, that good morning text. I had a good morning, like good morning. I had a great time last night. And I was just like, oh my God, we had a great time last night. Like, yes, we did. And mm-hmm. I got so giddy. Mm-hmm. I was just like, if I looked back, I'd be like, act like you've been there before. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I was responding right away. Like it was this whole thing. He was leaving that morning and like the whole time we were just talking and, and texting back and forth and and he called me as soon as he landed, like he lived across the country. Called me, we talked like I was literally like that love bombing. thing. And the next two weeks at work, I don't think I paid attention because I was just like texting back and forth because yeah. it was just so exciting. Again, to have that attention too, mm-hmm. to feel like somebody thinks you're beautiful and smart and have something to say. I don't know that that is problematic in itself because that in itself, she was a lack of confidence that you need this validation from somebody else that you are somebody. I would talk, like I would stay up late at night. I would figure out how to kind of work around my mom. Cause I was working, I was living with my mom at that point still. And at one point he just stopped. Yeah. yeah. It just stopped. No texts, no responses. We were on Facebook. I then like for a few days, there were no texts, and I was kind of out of my mind. I was like, "Did something
1: happen to? him? Is he okay?" So, like, I was. Did you go back through now. all of your text messages yeah. to see if you said something? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Analyzed,
1: overanalyzed. <laughs>
2: talked to my roommate, and I was like, "I can you? Is he okay? Like, it really that was my concern. Like, did he get into like an accident or something?" <laughs> and she was like, "No, I just talked to him yesterday. He's fine." I was like, "Oh." And that really hurt to be like the center of attention for that long and then to all of a sudden be discarded like trash really, really hurt. And I remember spiraling, really spiraling. Like, then I'm texting a lot more like, hey, what's going on? Like, did I say something? Mm-hmm. Like, what didn't get a response? A week later, I started seeing photos of him with somebody else. Yeah. Like, it- more than a friendship like you could tell it was more than a friendship from the photos and I was like oh who's that girl I wouldn't get a response I didn't know enough to walk away from the situation my roommate was going to visit him in California and I was like hey would you mind just talking to him because like I really don't know what's happening and I I don't know how to go forward she's like yeah I'll talk to him and you know this isn't okay She comes back. Actually, no, I remember very clearly. He posted a picture and his phone was right there and they were all sitting around. And I'd been texting him at the time that the photo was posted. And I was like, oh, so he's getting my texts, but it's not responding. And when she got back, I talked to her and she told me I was boy crazy and I needed to move on. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. So this was like all of three weeks, but that hurt was very real. Felt very, yeah. very real. And yeah, that's and where- I think that,
1: that's a, a hard thing because to the, to the person, no matter how long it goes on for or what even the situation is, to the person involved, it it hurt like it. It was still an emotional thing, and. Like, your heart breaks. Like, I know, Rachel, you felt that. I felt that. Oh, Pretty, yeah. You felt that. So I feel like often from outside people, it's invalidated yeah. because it's not like, well, it's not like you were in a relationship. So I mean, like that's you what happened together. with
2: Taylor Swift, right? Oh, it was yeah, only three exactly. months. Like, it couldn't have been
1: that yeah. bad. But you, a, the a lot of
2: emotions
1: happen yeah. and a lot of things happen in those yeah. Three months, right, yeah. or three weeks—doesn't matter what it is—and yeah. to that person, it's very real. So I just wish more people would be respectful of that. They wouldn't jump to the, well, that's barely a relationship. Like you barely knew yeah. each other, yeah. because from the interactions that were going on, things Seems were established. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I feel I think, like time frame—it doesn't matter. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely not. And that's why I'm like coming to Taylor's defense right now because <laughs> I'm like, does not matter how long she felt a certain way. And then she was made to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Intentionally or not. These are very, very real feelings. These are human feelings and you cannot invalidate them. And I find it funny that people are like, you just need to move on, but then people don't prepare us to respond that way. When something is happening to recognize these signs and say, that's not okay. You know, like if this is happening to you, sweetie, that's not a good relationship for you. Like you need to move on. And that's mm-hmm. why we fight back to the people who are trying to protect us from it because we're
1: like, no, you don't know what it's like. Yeah. He loves yeah. me. <laughs> My question, right? mm-hmm. And Rachel, so- for you and I both, like we both should have, you know, now being what we know. If someone said to us, well, hey, you want a relationship and I don't, we'd be like, okay, peace. Like, cool. Bye. <laughs> you know, telling yeah. me. Yeah. At the yeah. time before you have the experience, you're like, you hang on to it with every interview driver. So like, like you just need it in your life because you yeah. literally feel like you will never have it again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move into our friendship stories and talk about maybe, you know, some toxic friendship situations that we've been through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mine, the one that I wanted to talk about was when I was still in university and referencing back to the beginning of, the show when I was talking about being in that competitive situation. Mm-hmm. This is the story of that. And it didn't, this is a perfect situation where we were both toxic to each other mm-hmm. over time. And it didn't start that way. It started great, but, and I, I think I'm kind of going to talk about my actions in this because I definitely learned a lot about how to be a good friend and what Mm -hmm. boundaries not to cross through this because I'm a very sarcastic person Mm
1: -hmm. and you got dry humor, Rachel. I
0: have very dry humor and a very important lesson I've had to learn over time is with my friends and depending on who the friend is, what is acceptable and what's not yeah when it comes to that dry humor because i didn't have that boundary with myself in this friendship and i would hit a lot of things in this person that it didn't it didn't come across as sarcasm or funny mm-hmm. and i didn't understand that at the time and then as well i could tell when it first started I just, I was raised in a competitive family. We were all involved in individual sports. That's just how we are. So, naturally, when I was in this situation, I uh, was competitive with fitness. So, you know, I definitely would be like, oh, I wanna see if I can run faster. In my view, though, that competition wasn't, I wanna be better Mm. than you. It was, oh, you're at this level that is empowering me to do more sort of like I looked at it as in my brain that it was encouraging me to be a better to challenge myself mm-hmm. to challenge myself where because I hadn't communicated that quick enough in their brain it was you're trying to be better than me
3: mm.
0: and it, it does it is kind of sad because we naturally did fall out and I think that with how our friendship wound up we needed to at that point. Like it was kind of, we were in a bad back and forth where neither of us knew how to communicate properly with how we were feeling. But I think the most important lesson that I learned in this situation was taking responsibility for myself and my own actions mm-hmm. and not holding somebody to the, same, to the lens that I view myself. So for me, I'm like, oh yeah, you can kind of say whatever you want and I'll like laugh about it. Not everybody's like that and meeting your friends where they're at and respecting them and their boundaries in the way that you want your boundaries to be respected is very, very important, but also hold boundaries with if there's a confrontation that needs to happen with your friends. It also is acceptable to put a boundary in place of how you want that confrontation to
2: occur. Laura, so do you want to go next then and
1: yeah. So similar situation to Rachel's where there were things that, you know, I was probably in the wrong for mm-hmm. and just wasn't being a good friend. And I had to learn some of those lessons. So for my friendship situation, it was a friend who I met in university and we got very close. But then in that same summer, when I was, you know, discovering voice and that kind of stuff. I was living in my hometown. She went back to her hometown and we just didn't talk very much. We hung out like maybe a couple of times, but we really didn't keep that communication. And she was going through a very difficult time in her life, just with, with school and some personal things. And, you know, in one way, she didn't feel confident bringing those up to me. Mm -hmm. But then when she kind of would talk about it a little bit, I was not in a place to receive it. And that was a big lesson for me because I was, I was out being 20. I was, you know, very self-indulgent, self-centered at that time. And I, you know, looking back, I would have handled the situation better because I didn't know how to communicate back to her and help her through her issues that she was having at school. So that that was something that, you know, the friendship fell away. And I, I felt guilty for a long time after the fact, because, you know, we, we were really good friends. And looking back, I was just like, oh, you know, I should have been more aware yeah. that something was wrong. Like I should have been there for her. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of went on with our lives. And then it was actually only a few years ago, we actually ran into each other and we had a really good conversation. And it's it's kind of funny because it was something that had been on my mind it, around that time that I was just like, I really wish I could say sorry for not being a good friend. And sure enough, like a month later, that opportunity came And I, you know, just kind of really opened up to her because by then I had those communication skills Mm -hmm. and the confidence to kind of say that I was wrong. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like when you're young, like you don't want to be wrong. Like you were always right. So that was a very hard thing. Exactly. You know everything. And so we had a really good heart to heart of just, you know, me saying, sorry, like I should have tried to understand your situation better and- and been a better friend. Like I should have supported you when you were going through a difficult time. But instead, like I was just completely absorbed in in my own life. And she had told me, she's just like, you know, I, I should have brought it up sooner that I was in trouble. She's like, I was just really scared at the time. But I appreciate your apology so much. She's just like, you know, thank you. for for coming back because she's like, you know, you'd been on my mind recently about like how how good of a friendship we had. And then it was just gone. And, you know, she was one of my best friends at school. So it was hard moving on past that because (laughs) I didn't quite have anyone to hang out with anymore. At least someone who I was like so well connected with. And yeah, like that's just... (laughs) of all my story and after the apology you know we'll text a little bit we don't we don't live very close to each other so it's kind of hard to build that friendship back up but I was really glad that I had a chance to say you know I was wrong and and I'm sorry Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: that yeah so that that's kind of like like in that situation I think I was the the toxic person yeah and I was just like you know, it, it took me a long time to be like, you know, what I was really shitty to you, you know, yeah. I should have been there and I wasn't. So that's, <laughs> I'm glad you
2: had a chance to reconnect. It's interesting. Yeah.
1: My story is kind of
2: similar, but it has a different ending. So when I started my first workplace, there was, a woman who started there too. And we became instantly best friends because we were like around the same age group. And I remember (laughs) mentioning, like I worked with a lot of older people and we were best friends. Like wherever we went, whatever we did, we were like always together. And like, if somebody saw just me, they'd be like, oh, where's, you know, this person? Or like, if they saw her, they'd be like, where's this person? And so like, we were like literally BFFs. And, but there were things that were happening that- I didn't pick up on. And this is where I mentioned, like my mom was like, "Hmm." so like we were going to hang outside of work once. And like, she did not try to meet midway. It was, well, you can come over. And again, like I was seeking that connection. And so I did, I drove like an hour and a half or something like that like, to go to her place and hung, and hung out. And when I was leaving that job, she asked me what I was going to make at the new place. And I was open about it because I felt like I had nothing to hide. Like she was like my best friend and I wanted to tell her and she took it as like, I feel like her demeanor completely changed. Like, how dare you make that much money? By the way, it was not a lot of money by any means, but it was more than what we were making at that job. And, and I felt like I shouldn't have told her that, but her demeanor really changed. And like, all of a sudden she kind of like stopped talking to me. So we were still working together, right? Because I'd given my notice, but I was still there for like the two or three weeks that I'd given my notice for. She stopped talking to me. Like it, it was very brief. it was a hi, bye, but that was it. Didn't want to hang out. Didn't want to have lunch together. Didn't. And so my now husband, he ended up IMing her and being like, hey, like she's feeling really hurt. Like what's going on with you? And he asked me, he was like, do you want me to say something? Because I don't want to intervene if, you know, not. And I was like, I mean, may as well. Like, I'm trying. And she called me a puppy. She said, well, she's being this, like, puppy. And I just, I don't, I can't deal with that right now. <laughs> and gosh! like, okay. And I remember asking her, what happened? Like, I'm going to leave. Like, aren't you sad? I, You know, and she was like. Her reason for treating me that way was, well, when people leave, I just, I break down so much so that, so I just wanted to cut off the relationship. And so I could like, just protect us both. So she had made the decision for the both of us that this was in both Mm -hmm. of our interests to do. Yeah. And I felt like, I felt really, really hurt because again, we were best friends and, but I later realized she tried to patch things up because when I left, she was not responsible for the things I was working on. So she needed my help. So Mm -hmm. she was fine stopping the conversation, stopping the relationship. And I realized she started coming back around, like looking back at it when she realized she needed my help to kind of keep going. So... But, but I was like, you know, that's fine. Like, I understand like, okay, maybe really you feel that way and, and that's okay. So we were friends again and I would try to come up, like I would drive an hour to come see my boyfriend because we were living in like two different cities and she, because they worked together, I'd be like, Hey, let's like, I'm going to have a drink with him. Why don't you come hang out? And she one day just stood me up, no text no nothing. And then when I texted her about it, I didn't hear from her until later that night saying, sorry, I got busy. That was it and I was still like okay maybe she just got busy so I was starting to make excuses for her Mm -hmm. and we were going through a tough time like my boyfriend and I well my husband no but my boyfriend at the time like we were going through a tough time and I was texting her because she was like the only friend really I had like that like my my best friend from school was in college and she was like she was in this like honors program so like her time was like very precious and like I tried to not bother her but like I had this other friendship that I was like okay I can talk to this person who also knew my boyfriend, right? So like she knew both of us and I felt like she would maybe be able to give better advice. And one night she texted me and said, you're exhausting. That was the text I got from her. And oh, the, like, it was like at 2 a.m. when I got that text and my phone buzzed and I woke up because I was waiting to hear back what she would tell me to do in this situation. And so to read, I'm exhausting, like Mm. really broke me down. I talked to my boyfriend about it and he was like that's not okay like even though we were going through a hard time like he was like whoa whoa, whoa, this is not okay years later so and and honestly that was the end of the friendship like I was like I can't be in this relationship like that's not okay like I was so heartbroken but I had to then tell myself listen to everything that's been happening like hello like she's been telling you she doesn't want to be with you she's only talking to you because she needs help like all of those things that started to make sense and so that was the end of that relationship. Years later, she got my number from somewhere and she started texting me again. Like I had changed numbers at this point because I was living in a different city and I wanted that city's like zip code because I wanted to be cool like that. I'm so dumb looking back at it, but that's what I wanted. And so I changed my number. She got my new number from somewhere and then texted me and said, hey, I was hoping we could talk years later. By the mm-hmm. way, I've moved on. I've gone through other toxic friendships where I've realized signs I've broken those friendships, like moved on. And I was like, you know, I appreciate it, but I just don't think there's anything here anymore for us to pick back up. And she's like, can we just talk? And so we had a conversation and like, she was going through this thing. And I just said, you could have told me that. And I would have been there for you, like hand and foot taking care of you. Like I had with other things. She's like, I just couldn't open up. And I still understood that. And I said, you know, I appreciate that, but it's been years. And like, I'm really sorry you went through that how you treated me still wasn't right. You still, and you didn't apologize for it until years after. And I said, I just don't think there's anything here. Yeah. And (laughs) the next thing she said to me was, who do you think you are to say that? I'm here apologizing to you and you're going to just tell me "Eh, there's nothing here. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) I'm so glad I said that because look at what you've done. Are you kidding me right now? Like, you're just going to tell me that I can't set these boundaries. And how dare I stand up for myself? Like, she, by the way, texted me and like, emailed me like years later again. And I was like, you know, it's fine. Like, let's kind of get over whatever we went through. It looks in the past is in the past. I still couldn't bring myself to like, talk to her. hmm that repeated behavior. I was like, this is going to happen again. And I can't allow that to happen. It sucked. It really sucked.
1: Yeah. No, it really does. When you lose a friend, like, cause even in my situation, you know, she was having some personal troubles and here I was like, oh, look, I'm flaunting my new relationship. Yeah. And she, and she kind of told me, she's like, you know, at the time she's just like, I was really, she was struggling. And she's just like, she's like, you know, I didn't know how to tell my parents and here you were like, flaunting a boyfriend in my face. And but I think
2: one thing like friends need to realize is any new relationship mm-hmm. like that is going to take your attention. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I've oh my had God, friendships yes. break over that. Like I, I've had mm-hmm. somebody else tell me you don't have time for me because all you want to do is hang out with your boyfriend. Yeah. If you can't realize that that's a new relationship that you're excited about and that you need to give your friend some space to explore it. You're not a good friend. Mm hmm. And that's the truth of it because your job as a friend is to be there to support them and say, Oh, can I like curl your hair, or like get you dressed up, or like let's go shopping yeah. or something? Not say, I am not getting enough attention.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's that's a really bad friend. So thank you both for sharing your stories. And I think the one thing I want to do before we wrap up is really just talk about what are some good relationship signs. And I can start that off and, and I'm hoping, you know, you guys can. So like, for me, a good, a healthy relationship, you have open communication, right? You can talk about your issues respectfully, like respect has to be the baseline. You can talk about your issues respectfully. You may be on opposite sides of the, you know, of your political things, whatever it is, but you will always be very respectful. And at the end of the day, like you'll be there for the other person when they need it. Obviously, to a limit, like you have to also realize that this is a human at the end of the day. They have relationships, they have a life outside of you, and you have to be respectful of that. But good communication, you know, good just like care about the things that they care about, like important events that are important to them, you know, so their promotions, (laughs) their baby showers, their new jobs, like whatever it is, make sure to celebrate that because. Your job as a friend is also to celebrate the good moments as much as it is to be there for the bad ones. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if I think about a work situation, a good work situation is where you feel safe going every day. You feel excited. And even if things are going bad, the the things that are going badly are with the work, not with you. Like you're not the one who's impacted by it at the end of the day. Like you may say, Oh my God, I need to do this better. Like I need to pay better attention. But it's not somebody externi- externally telling you that you are awful. You cannot make decisions. You won't get paid. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. And then, you know, thinking about dating, it's kind of, it, it, I feel like dating is similar to a friendship where like you need to be respectful of each other. You need to have healthy arguments. You need to be able to disagree with each other without like disrespecting disrespecting mm-hmm. each other and I, I think those are some of like the key tenets and really just being self-aware and knowing that you love to be you you deserve to be loved and you deserve to be respected and when you see something that doesn't feel that way to address it immediately
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to recognize signs of I I can't bring myself to talk to this person and yeah. that's a very good sign that you need to leave That situation. Mm -hmm. Rachel, do you want to add to that?
0: Yeah. So I'll I'll break it up into dating friends and work and in dating, sort of the two pillars that I've come to realize in my current relationship is absolute encouragement to be your full self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if it's in a difficult conversation, like encouragement to be like, I want you to tell me exactly how you feel Mm -hmm. and to have that door open and to also feel safe. Mm -hmm. And like, you can trust them and that, you know, if they don't answer your call right away, it's just because they're busy yeah, and Mm -hmm. not because they're ignoring you or they don't want to talk to you.
2: (laughs) That's hard, right? (laughs) Um, It's
0: very hard. And like, I had that fear ingrained in me for so long that just getting comfortable with, you know, somebody not texting you because they're working. Yeah. Like getting comfortable with that is a difficult battle to overcome but it is possible when you feel safe yeah. and in a friendship effort on both sides mm-hmm. so like you were saying if you you drove an hour and a half for that person you know if one if there's a 2 hour drive between you meet somewhere in the middle
3: yeah
0: like that that's huge and with work just like you said just when you're going there in the morning feeling like one i can contribute here and knowing that um, like you're safe to give your ideas like it's a environment where you have a voice and that's very important
1: yeah yeah laura yeah. yeah so starting with relationships i think you know you need to be confident in yourself and confident mm-hmm. in your partner and really do listen to what they're telling you. You know, I think in a common theme in all of our rela- relationship stories was that they told us exactly
3: mm-hmm.
1: what they, yeah. what they wanted. And, you know, we, we provided a narrative that was very different and, you know, you got to trust, trust your gut. And then step back because the likelihood of you being able to change someone or fix them as women are trained to, to do, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't happen. You know, a person is who they are. It's not your job to change them and make them better. You know, you have to look out for yourself. And if that relationship isn't serving you, you need to have the courage to walk away. Same with a friendship situation you know i think honesty is definitely key and you know you need to learn your boundaries of what's acceptable and what's not you're not going to get everything right all the time and neither is your friend yeah but again you know you need to realize that some some relationships and friendships are only in your life for A particular period, it's okay to outgrow them and move on. I don't think that's something that we should carry around with us, Mm -hmm. that we were the cause of the relationship to break down. Sometimes they just run their course. And then with work, you know, and with you, Rachel, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to speak up and you shouldn't have to cry before you go into work every day. And and pretty, like you said, you know, you can have hard days at work. You know, like I have hard days at work all the time and I I will complain about it. But I at the foundation, I love my job. Yeah. Cause even my boyfriend will be like, gosh, Laura, like you're complaining a lot this week. Like, do you even like your job? And I'm like, I love my job. It's just a hard week. I, I work in a place where I'm valued. I, yeah. I don't feel like I need to be perfect. And if I make a mistake, they're just gonna say, like, hey let's, let's teach you how to do this properly. He didn't know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you're worthless and you're never going to get this right. Mm -hmm. So I think respect is Mm -hmm. kind of what comes down to me for, for a workplace, you know, Mm -hmm. this is your thing that you have to do minimum 40 hours a week. You shouldn't feel anxiety and depression when, when you need to do it. And if you are in a situation where
2: you are not sure about if things are good or bad, look for consistency. Look for where are the repeated patterns and look for which one makes you feel like this is the relationship you're in yeah at bad times if that's what you feel like you're in listen to that if good times you feel like okay that's that's the relationship with a few other things and but but from there you have to talk about the hard things you have to be able to come to the table with respect and work through things and be invested in working through things because you care about the relationship like one party should not be able to walk away from the situation not want to deal with it. Like it's okay to walk away from the situation to cool down, mm-hmm. but knowing that you'll come back to continue the conversation. I don't believe in go to bed. Don't go to bed angry. I don't believe in that you are fundamentally exhausted at one point in, in hard disagreements. So you need to be able to take a back, take a break to come back to things, but no, know, knowing that you're both committed to making the relationship work, whether it's a workplace, whether friendship with or dating is important.
1: With that, Laura and Rachel, where can our listeners find you? So our podcast, The Tea with Laura and Rachel, is available on all platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your shows. We release a new episode every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Usually sometimes, sometimes we forget <laughs> and we wake up in the middle of the night and schedule an episode. But yeah, we just we just love building a community. We have an Instagram, our handle is the T with Laura and Rachel. And pretty, you know, we love what you're doing on Instagram. Like you're creating this community where you have a conversation with your listeners. And Rachel and I, we, we really look up to that because mm-hmm. all the podcasts that we listen to, we want to provide input we want to have a conversation and a connection with the hosts and so that's really what we're trying to do on on our podcast as well we want to feel like our listeners can come talk to us and you know come on the show and like sit down and just just share stories just like how we did today
2: yeah 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 I love your podcast it's easily one of my favorite things to listen to when I'm just like hey like what do I want to listen to and like I will go for your podcast because it's (laughs) it's just fun. It, it really is like hanging out with my girlfriend. So.
1: Oh, and Thank see, that you. was all we ever wanted. <laughs> it really was. It. <laughs> so you've achieved that purpose. Um, Yay.
2: With that note, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple podcasts and subscribe and follow anywhere else. You're listening to this. I am offering new courses. Check out my courses on the empowered woman You two are in my podcasting class next week. I am so excited for it. And If you ever have questions, any feedback, any topics you want me to cover, please reach out to me. There is a contact form on my website and my Instagram handle is The Empowered Woman Rises, where, as Lauren and Rachel mentioned, I have an active conversation with our listeners um, with my Instagram community, and I would love to have you there. With that, thank you so much. And until next time, take care.